Game Face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon, and I'm here with Blue Blasi. <laughs> That's it. That's all I get today. Okay. Two minutes ago, you gave me crap about standing in front of you, and you were waiting, waiting, like with bated breath for me to say something. And I said, what are you doing? You said, I'm waiting for what's coming I'm next. I'm preparing for what's next. Because <laughs> <laughs> you are like always in shell shock, waiting for me to say something shocking well when i walked in the room you were wrapping your nails on the wall like corella deville <laughs> oh now you just open the door corella deville where were you i know you were in the bathroom for forever yeah. and taking up my time to go to the bathroom but i didn't know you were no there, I I'm, I'm used to my routine i come in i do honey i'm home you're sitting there <laughs> you usually give me some shot of some like smart ass commentary then i give it back to you and then we're off and you messed up my whole schedule this morning i never do smart ass commentary first of all secondly oh <laughs> the reason i went to the do bathroom. not make the listeners think that you're just like this little oh a little angel oh no um, oh no very nice guy i didn't it, no one said you're not a nice guy i went to the I bathroom said. to accommodate your schedule oh thank you, you get here early i i was sitting in the parking lot i was talking to a client this morning oh i see and I had a scheduled call, a I call it the quick version call of a therapeutic session. It was 25 minutes instead of 45 minutes. And we were discussing. He was very good. I have to say thank you to that lovely client because he was very good at keeping me on time so that I didn't go over because we started get we yep. always get into these very heady intellectual conversations. He's super smart and he's in college and he's gonna be a doctor. And so mm. I get a lot of very good um, intellectual stimulation with him because he likes to, he's studying psychology and neuroscience and, oh. and medicine. And so we speak a lot of the same language. So he yeah. often gets into that. And we had a, it, I wasn't going to talk about this today, but I actually had this really cool conversation that I'll touch on because it sort of has to do with something I'm going to talk about today a little bit, but we were talking about, I'm paraphrasing is cognition really cognition or are we just conditioned into the way we think do you know what i mean like are we just do we really think or are we just conditioned into being thinkers but we don't you know it's like if all the thoughts have ever been thought have they been thought before this is the conversation i was having at nine o'clock yeah. this morning there's a that's a pie that, that's a pie to be divided <laughs> yeah that was some of this is permanent and programmed and some of this is we freelance sometimes. well so so i my answer to this was in multiple parts my answer was now my answer when i teach about cognition and neuroscience and neuropsychopharmacology which is what i'm going to talk about a little bit today i say now it depends <laughs> which is really scientific but yeah. it does it depends and so what does it depend on so there's camps where people think that things are very behaviorally learned habituated conditioned and you know stimulus response whatever that's a really small camp of people um more people think it's a combination of nature and nurture i'm a camp now of nature and nurture because over the years and this is what i was saying to him over the years when you really want to um you grow in your brain you not that you want to but you grow in your brain because you start you start realizing a lot of different things and so there's been these studies out recently in the past couple of weeks about how i don't know if you've seen them because it kind of made national news too that that they're probably going to sort of push aside a lot of the animal studies like on mice and rats and things like that because they're finding that they're not a they're not as not a good model generalizable yeah. of a model because yeah. they don't have the the 
wherewithal to do the cognitive kind of things that they've always thought that they did. And ethically, which we were just talking about as well, is ethically, you can't use a sentient being, which is considered a sentient being, because it's unethical. But back in the 40s, you could. Yeah. <laughs> humans, right. monkeys, cats, dogs. I mean, and they are using some of those now, but it's unethical and in many places illegal as it should be. So, um, so. But all that aside, it was useful to an extent. Well, but that was part of the, the conversation. Is it really useful when it really isn't a correlate? Are we are we forcing the correlation? Are we making, you know. To an extent, yes. So, so it's a very interesting topic that is out there and probably most people are like who cares but no this is back to the it's actually really fascinating this to me. is back to the observer uh position or wise mind and unwise mind right well right can you because the unwise mind the mind is basically conditioning it's well, basically no, right, primitive the programming. mind is habituated into that but but the, but your wise mind is conditioned then as well Yes, but you you can freelance. You can float above. You can float above it with practice and with awareness. But that means that you have cognition to be able to float above something and have cognition and to have awareness and do that. You have to have cognition. One would say, "I'm yeah. playing devil's advocate." So, so anyway, so it's a very interesting topic that could go. <laughs> That's the fight, isn't it? Between, well, while well, we were talking about between the, programming and uh, why is it that when I come in here, all of a sudden my nose starts itching? There's something in this studio that it's you. I'm convinced I'm, I'm in a completely to different room. Uh, what? I'm in a completely different room. I know that, but you're making me itch. Okay. Ah, there's something in this room. It's Ron Colwick. <laughs> That's entirely possible. <laughs> Although he wasn't in this week. So, so well, wait a second. Before you go wherever that was, you were going. Yep. The prefrontal cortex and the dorsal right area that connects to the amygdala, for instance. Did you just, did you just glaze over? No, nope, I'm there. Oh, good. So that's that's responsible, and I'm very generalized here. There's to not bore the audience. That's that's responsible to connect to the amygdala, which is your fight and flight, which is mm -hmm. your your anxiety manager. I mean, your aggression manager, your agitation manager, your frustration. You know all those things. So, but it's related to your emotional regulator which is also related to your thought process. So it's really trying to tease out like the prefrontal cortex from the dorsal, you know, where, where is it connecting? How's it connecting and how's it re-regulating your central nervous system to respond? And so there's so many pieces to that. It's like, well, somewhere in there, there's gotta be a thought process because we're, our whole piece of um, how we do therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy is that if you change the thought, it leads to yep. a different feeling, which changes some outcome behavior, right? So somewhere in there, the it depends comes along because you're you're re you're relearning, you're rewiring, like the whole thing with addiction treatment, the whole thing with PTSD, yep. the whole thing with depression and anxiety. We are, if you're talking about Martin Seligman, who talks about learned helplessness, learned helplessness versus unlearning it and learned optimism, right? That's mm -hmm. his theory. Or if we're, we're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy or theory with Aaron Beck or who, you know, it's about rewiring the brain. We take any neuroscience and neuropsychopharmacology right now, you know, there's medicines that they're trying to, to have to help rewire the brain. And that's where I'm going today, by the way, um, some of that. And also we're, we're going to talk about emotional meltdowns. Oh, nice. <laughs> But, um, but I, but I thought we would, we would start on this more heady intellectual thing because so much has been in the news recently about, um, this, but in a different way in terms of medication. So there's been very specific, are you ready to jump into this? Sure. 
Oh, good. See, I didn't pick on you this week. No. Want me to? Yeah, if you want. You had a very beautiful picture, by the way, of your cute little doggy. Oh, of, Tanner. Yeah. Of, yes. And I know that. So everyone that's listening, if you're on <laughs> Facebook with Lou, he doesn't talk about his cats that he has. because no. He's not a lover of cats. Uh, well, and whatever. But I know that when he wrote his post this week about National Dog Day, he purposefully put in that he has cats. And I feel because of the narcissistic. No, that was a different post. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I feel because of the narcissistic need that I have for you to like cats. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See how I threw myself out there? That you threw that in for me. Don't tell me any different. Just let me live in okay. that fantasy. <laughs> I don't hate my cats. They're part of the family. Them. I didn't. This I know, but you didn't throw them in for me. The problem like, relationship with them, like we have with other members of our family. Oh, that, <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't talk so highly of that, so yeah. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's great. So anyway, well, I just thought it was very lovely, yeah. and Tanner was very cute. He's he's yeah. a very cute. He's beautiful. He's 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 beautiful. He's very yeah. cute. I've never met him, but yeah. I'm sure he's a whack job. He's a whack. He's definitely a whack job. Yes, so. he's the salty dog. Yeah. Yes, he's he's a beautiful dog because he's an Aussie. He's a rejected. He's rejected from a line of champions. Well, he is not rejected in my book. Yeah, he's no, very, not mine. He's either. very pretty. Yeah, he's very handsome. Mm -hmm. So anyway, <laughs> I had to find somewhere to get at you. Okay, so going back Can to I, just one thing before we get into this. Oh my god! Just quickly. Fine. You're doing a, a phone session, or was there visual as well? I mean, a, a lot of these programs are doing a lot of these phone sessions and visual sessions, and having gone through therapy, I don't. That takes away one of the large parts of it for me, which is that little escape from the bubble and, and getting into the you know the waiting room before therapy was often as much fun for me as therapy. Well, so here's the thing. So I'm not any of I'm not on any of those things there's mm -hmm. like the better help and the headspace yeah. all those things i have that's a whole different show yeah i, I understand that, yeah, my opinion would not be popular anyway because i've heard so many complaints yeah but nonetheless my phone sessions range from regular phone if it's a phone in because someone can't make it or yep. someone's far away and they're traveling or whatever and they need you know yeah um sometimes they're facetimed in sometimes mm -hmm. they're zoomed in sometimes they're google met in sometimes they are on specialized whatever it's whatever the person you know i'm very accommodating right. and and i make sure that i have all secure things on my devices which is good but this was just a phone call yeah. and the phone call with this person i have known since they were young yeah so i prefer people to meet me in person especially if they're new to me because i don't know their nuances and you can't pick them up when you're doing video right calls yeah hence the past two and a half three years for the pandemic people lost their socialization ability because they don't really see you can't pick up the micro expressions right. as much um i i tend to be able to do that but it's it's much more difficult and it's hard for the client i stay engaged because i'm used to doing it and that's what it's harder for clients especially kid clients to stay yeah. engaged on phone right. or on video chats because they're either in their room or they have the dog running around or the cat yeah. or the fish or the bird or someone's playing outside or with adults, they've got, you know, kids walking in and out or there's something going on. Right. And so it takes away from it in that way or they're being quiet. 
because they don't want anyone in the next room to hear. Yeah. And that, so it, there's definitely downsides to it. And so when people want to start new with me and they'll say, like, I have someone starting new with me at the end of September and she she's, she's a distance away from me, but she wants to do it all telehealth. And I said, you can, but I would prefer you come in for your first session. And she's balking at it because yeah, yeah. she doesn't want to do that. And I explain why, and she understands it, but she still doesn't want to do it. And I'm like, it's got a place, but I like the separation. I like getting out and getting into another space and, mm -hmm. you know. Well, if you come to my office and you ask any of my clients, they love my office because mm -hmm. you walk in and one people usually when they first see it, they go, oh, because, mm -hmm. you know, you usually see a psych office and it's like a small little box. It's cold yeah. and kind of whatever. Mine is not. Mine is very contemporary and it's like a living room that's very chill and it's got lots of personality and warmth and good lighting and it's comfortable and a lot of people just go i would stay here <laughs> and so i'm like well i have to so i i got a new couch just to make it a little less comfy <laughs> the forensic psychologist i saw for a while ghosted me <laughs> by the way oh my god her office Did was really so sparse it was a little tiny it was a little tiny little tiny place and a chair next to the desk it was it was so funny it was just weird wow is it no warmth whatsoever? Oh, yeah. Well, and that's what people tell me. I mean, I've had it's sort of a funny story. One recent person came in and told me that they went to someone twice and their first experience with them was sitting like face to face, like we're sitting, but really close in, in a, in the, those hard metal chairs. Yeah. And that was their main office. The person had had for 30 years. Wow. Thinking, oh, that's awful. Cause yeah. you know, you know me, I sit for 14 or 15 clients a day that's a lot of time to sit in those hard chairs but i would imagine this person probably sits for three or four and then yeah. they're done for their day because they're multi-millionaires or something yeah. um <laughs> but and then the second session 15, that they had you see 14 or 15 in a day wow you didn't know that no oh that's it that's my loaded day wow and then on a short day it's 10 yeah 11 yeah wow i start early and go late yeah where have you been all these years <laughs> i didn't know the numbers i didn't yeah. know the quantity yes i'm very busy um, which is why I have a wait list until next December. Yeah. And I'm talking 2023 December, not this December. Yeah. Um, but uh, the second session that this person had, which made them leave. <laughs> and this is not the first time I've heard this particular story. Totally different therapist. But the therapist did a rebirthing. Hey, to each their own. But they had a, had the client lay on the floor and put like this thing around them and had them rebirth themselves. I could go into second the, session. Yep. This is second session. Yep. You, you can't create that kind of trust. For, <laughs> There's so many things in a I session. have to say about it, yeah. but I can't, but you know, cause I won't talk bad about another. That's colleague. a thing by the way. What? That's a thing. A yep. rebirthing. Yep. Wow. Okay. There's That's another show. God, just take a list of all the yep. different shows I could talk about, but yes, that is actually um, something. I wouldn't have made the end of that session. <laughs> um, I'm surprised that this person did because yeah. uh, their story, we spent we spent the better part of our first few sessions just talking about undoing the damage that came from that experience. Wow. And, and that's, I, that's I, aggressive. <laughs> and because I've heard that experience before and people have left that experience to come to me and, and there's, so in all seriousness, there is something to be said for, there is a technique that people use around that. It's a little different and it's unexpected it usually have to there's a lot that goes into that you yeah. can't just throw it on someone in their second session i mean it's just no yeah you can't even establish it's necessary in a ses second right. session can you uh, I, no i would not do that yeah no 
that would not be something I would do, especially not if I didn't know enough. We don't I know don't. each other like that. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, oh, I could, we could just have a whole show on all the crazy stories. I could tell you about things I've heard from people that come to me and they're hesitant and they're, you, and I'm like, what is up with this? And I'm like, so, and I always ask the first time, I say, have you had therapy before? And what was it like? And I, I should just write a book alone on that. Mm. <laughs> And then I'm, and, and I have to say that my clients tend to stay with me. So I know they're not running out going, Dr. Landon has us rebirth. <laughs> There's none of that. There's no rolling on the floor. They're way away from me yeah, on the I couch. Even know, I didn't even speed. want to know the details of that. Nope. And nope. And nope. Yeah. So, you know, occasionally we go for walk therapy. We've gone for golf therapy in terms of like just being in a social space with people with PTSD. I put them in different spaces, yep. but that's further down the line. Things that are not quite as unorthodox. So. You know, and I second, recognize the space for a phone thing or something like that, but I just the value for me was taking that time out of my schedule and getting out of the, getting out of the river. Yeah, to sit sit on the side of the river and talk a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. See. Okay. So good morning, by the way, to people that are talking to me online. <clears throat> um, I have to say that as a positive thing to Joe Ferris, who's mm -hmm. speaking here online, and said good morning. He has a rock star athlete that I cannot name, but we share him as a client and he is amazing. And he, he won a series, a race series last night and he did a beautiful job, not Joe, but our shared client and kudos to Joe. Cause he's probably one of the most amazing youth running coaches nice. I've known ever. Um, he's patient and kind and compassionate. And he's not one of those coaches that we talk about that I talk about that yeah. you have to really rein in. And he just knows how to coach the sport and he knows how to, put kids in the right direction to get oh, help congratulations to, to be superstars. And, and, and I'm proud to say that I share, share working with a superstar that he has created. Oh, congratulations to Joe and his so, client. Yes. And your so, client. Um, fabulous. And uh, so anyway, and I think Facebook user is Michelle. I oh, think, I yeah. think that is Michelle. So good morning, Michelle, who's bright and early at six o'clock in the morning out in I know, Arizona. Right? Yeah. Um, so yes, mindset is everything, which brings us to the newest that wrapped it around, didn't it? Yes. It, to, it to exactly it where right we started. Yeah, I know. Yep. Well, that's, that's why I can jump right into now the topic. Um, one of the topics, not emotional meltdowns yet. Um, oh, she loves me. I knew it was her. No, that's for me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, it was for me, Lou. Yeah. Stop it. All right. Okay. Um, you know, you'll have to always compete and take my thunder. I'm going to need therapy later. <laughs> we should just laugh. I know. I know. Okay. Anyway, you're getting me off topic. Can I'm you sorry. stop? I'm sorry. All right. So aside from the studies that I was just talking about that were happening about the movement of other beings of animals, we're not talking about that anymore. What we're talking about now is there has been a huge push recently, not really recently, but it's been in the news more recently about alternative methodologies for treating substance abuse disorder mm -hmm. and then post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety and depression and other things. Now I'm holistic, as you know, and I'm not a big fan of medicating or over-medicating anyone. And that's a whole another show, but particularly when we talk about any kind of those disorders that I just put out there or those, those labels, 
the go-to kind of things are typical like antidepressants. If we're talking the medical model, they're the antidepressants and things like that. But when we're talking about substance abuse, again, and addiction, what they've been doing a lot with is, you know, um, ketamine therapy, which we, I've brought up on the show before, mm-hmm. or they have MDMA therapy, you know, you know what that is, right? Yeah, I think so. Ecstasy. So you, they use ecstasy to free the mind or yeah. they use ketamine. All right. So, and, and they use it for all the little labels that I just gave. However, um, nothing in substance abuse in terms of things to help really prevent substance abuse disorder has been new since like the 1940s. So there's three that I know of. There's three main, and also the articles that I've read would back this up, three main drugs of choice that are in the medical model that are typically used. And you probably have heard of most of them. So there's antabuse, Mm -hmm. which is the one that aversively conditions you to throw up if you drink, right? right? Um, And it's for drinking specifically. And then there's... um, Oh boy, Campral, which is uh, like you take it just to keep the the cravings at bay on a daily or you know whatever. In antabuse works in some people, and Campral works. I don't think it works as well as antabuse because you don't have that same adverse reaction. But then people bypass it because then they just don't take it on the daily, and then right. they can drink. And then there's naltrexone or Revia or Vivitrol. So naltrexone is the drug, but it's Revia if you want to call it, or Revia. Um, or Vivitrol, and it's in the shot form, so it lasts in the body for 30 days. And that's that's my go-to with clients, is that's the one that if people really want to have a full blocking, and there's no addiction properties to it, it fully blocks. Um, I won't go into all the science about it right now, because it would bore people, kind of like all the other things that we were talking about before. No. All the brain stuff, the dorsal and the caudate yeah. and all those things. But what it does is it essentially blocks the want for the craving. Um, so those three drugs are the things that have been out to really help in terms of putting a fix, ugh, not a good word, but putting yeah. a fix to the problem and, and whatever. But but we also know that when you do that in anything, that in psychology and psychiatry, we always have found in every study that when you add it with psychotherapy and you add it with what I do for a living and you add in those things, it makes it more effective. However, there's been a push for newer research on other new medications that have come out. And now it went holistic. Shocking, right? So if you've seen in the news recently, there's been a push for psilocybin. Have you heard about the psilocybin phenomenon? Do you know what psilocybin is? I do not. Magic mushrooms. Really? Yes. So hallucinogenic mushrooms. And so for people, I'm going to go to my, because I want to make sure I give my, my full stats correctly. So so psilocybin, now say this five times fast, So, because I won't do it again. Um, so it's phosphoryloxy and it's dimethyltryptamine. That's what it is. And that's the chemical compound that makes you have the hallucinations. And what it does is after ingestion, it makes the mind open up. This is what clients will tell you in science. It makes the mind open up to free up the symptoms of the problem now. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it has to be done. First of all, you can't just go out and eat mushrooms because it's found in this particular chemical property. This is why I said it. It's, you know, not just psilocybin in general, because magic mushrooms are very specific. You can find that chemical compound in many different mushrooms, but you also have to be very careful with it. And you have to be, you can't just go out and do that. Like people, you know, I mean, look at the seventies. It was magic mushroom time, right? And people did that. So 
the research around using psilocybin has been being done for quite some time. And what they are finding is, and I think this was phenomenal and it makes me very interested in, and it doesn't mean that I would be, I don't know enough yet to say yay, because it's only a couple studies, but for alcohol use disorder, um, they're saying that the use of psilocybin with talk therapy cuts heavy drinking now, very specific wording by 83% in the, the newest study. And I was like, wow, I'm very interested in this because using a psychedelic um, drug along with, you know, supportive therapy saying that um, in the Journal of American Association of Psychiatry on August 24th, which is only a couple of days ago um, at, at New York University was saying that um, even people with just a moderate amount of drinking, if they had like a micro dose of the psilocybin didn't have any want or even when they drank, they only would have a sip and not do and not keep going. Okay. So it's a very interesting thought process for people who struggle with recovery and, you know, with antabuse, which doesn't work on a lot of people or Camprel or naltrexone. Naltrexone people can drink on and you can drink on all of those things. Yep. You get sick on one, the other one, it just, you override it. And then the other one, you don't, naltrexone, you don't know that your body doesn't register that you're getting um, drunk or high. And so it could actually kill you. <laughs> So there's that. Um, but with the psilocybin, from what I know, it's not in the article, but what I know of it in general, like you, it, it, I call it a distractor to the brain. So if you're in, you're taking psilocybin, you're not going to be using a substance. So I, a different substance because so, your mind is in a different state. So you trip I don't on really this. Know, you, what? you trip on this stuff. You trip on it. Okay. Right. Yeah, all right. So and tripping means that you're having hallucinations, you're having an open, well, in this world of talking about it, they would say it's an open-minded conversation with a trained person. Now there are people, it's, by the way, it's illegal. <laughs> it's a banned substance. Oh, by the way. Oh, by the way. Yeah. So just in case people are thinking, oh, I should run out and try this. First, and I'm not sure if I'm in any camp on this yet, because I don't know enough about it. I'm just reading the research, but I, I, it's going to be a topic of conversation that's already started with some of my clients, because I have clients that already use alternatives like ayahuasca, which is similar yeah. in terms of what it does in this way. I have MDMA users, I have ketamine, and they all go to these treaters who locally have some certification, I don't know what it is, to be able to do this and then do a therapeutic session with them. So I'm always interested in knowing what my clients are doing and interested in and, and knowing the science behind it so that I have, you know, some kind of intellectual knowledge of what's going on. But I have been following this because the psilocybin train has been going for a while. Is there a mechanism or a theory behind this other than you'll trip so you don't drink as much? Um, well, yeah, <laughs> yes, there, there is, there is a, yeah. a definitely a different mechanism and, and basically, I, cause I'm going to tell you exactly, um, I'm, cause they had a great way of explaining it. And I can, I'm going to probably just have to explain it in my own terms because I'm never going to find it. Um, uh, so what basically, yeah, it's going to, I'm never going to find it, <laughs> but what it, what it does is, is it allows a person to have their, I'm going to get technical again, because the article doesn't say this, and I'm going to tell everyone where you can find this article. What it does is it relaxes the central nervous system enough, in theory, right, theoretically, mm -hmm. 
to allow the polyvagal nerve, which is the nerve that runs from, you know, brain to gut and your poly and that's your, your emotional regulator. Right. And it stores your, it's, it stores your, your trigger points or, and I'm loosely talking here because this isn't the true technical. I'm just trying to kind of make it for everybody's consumption. It's, it allows for you to reg down regulate. So come down to a space where you feel more relaxed. You have someone talking to you. You're talking through things while you're, while you're taking this so that while you're in the mode of just being out of your normal awareness state of mind and into this open-minded state, then you can do therapy while you're on this so that you're doing repair work in a relaxed state of the body and the mind where it's free and open to receive that because neurologically it's somewhat rewiring the brain in theory. Now that's a very generalized way of putting it. Right. So you're more open, thoughtful as opposed to reactionary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if you're thinking about all the things that go into the ism of drinking or drugging or gambling or the the isms, right? That's a symptom. That's the symptom of the problem, right? right? So if you're if you're allowing yourself to free up your mind in theory to be able to look at the things that are driving you to pick up those things or do those behaviors, then you're able to settle the brain around that. So this is why it's saying it's really, they're saying it's possible use potential is for PTSD, which they've been trying. They've been talking about that for a while with psilocybin. The the Veterans Association, the um, VA has been talking about that for a long time. I don't know if they use it or not. I'm sure they don't. (laughs) That would be a whole nother thing. Um, But there's lots of, there's lots of um, discussion about how if it can free up the mind and then you can do the therapy around it to allow the mind to accept the recovery space of that, that might be helpful. Now, here's my downside. Of course, I'm going to come yeah. into the no, no. Although they are saying 83% of the drinking can come down of heavy drinking or can completely make a person go into recovery, because you, you have reports in this particular article of people saying, I'm completely recovered. I have no ism. Yeah. You're not in recovery anymore. You've, you've now, cured right. it. I, yeah. So I'm not in that camp. Right. You are always working on recovery. Just like if you're a diabetic, you're always working on your diabetes. I mean, it's just, right. if you've had cancer, doesn't mean you don't have cancer. It means you're in remission. You're in recovery. You're working on it. You're doing things to take measures. So I haven't been convinced to shift over to any camp like that. I'm just putting out some of this information to explain to consumers if they are hearing it. It's not like this miracle, in my opinion, that happens to be like this because like take someone who has post-traumatic stress syndrome, right? The PTSS. And they actually say veteran and they have war experience and they have horrific things have they've seen and heard and done and whatever. And then they have the, then they are become a drinker because of it to, to numb the, right. the, the, yep. the problem. When you open up your mind on psilocybin or on ketamine or an MDMA, there's no, there's no guarantee that it's going to be this pretty rainbows, puppies and cat jumping over, right. you know, unicorn experience. So that's where I have a controversial, I'm sure, uh, sidebar to this because I don't necessarily have that experience of knowing people who consistently can go through these treatments and have just that experience happen. So therefore they're open to the therapy. I think that people, and I'd have to see other statistics on who the, who the sample was that they used and they've used a really good size sample, but to know the characterological pieces of the person, like what kinds of trauma did they have? Um, 
how open were they? I mean, I would imagine people who are more suggestible or open to it are going to be more conducive to a study like this because they're wanting to do that, although they did have a placebo. So I think that, you know, and that's with any kind of research study that yeah. it's going to have these pieces to it. But, you know, when you're using any kind of drug in general, whether it's these drugs or something else, you always have to be mindful that who who are your target and you know obviously random sample and you put you know everybody doesn't get the same thing and whatever but um this seems to be very promising for people but i'm very cautionary about it because although it's natural because people have already said this week when i've had this conversation yep. but kim you're holistic you're yeah, <laughs> yes yeah. I, yes but that doesn't mean you should go hiking up at mount washington and eat the mushrooms off the tree right because you know there's some mushrooms that will kill you and although there is this this um compound in many of those mushrooms you can still die <laughs> so you have to be very careful so um it was on the news in the past week a whole bunch of times this particular study has been out now it's it's been hot on the news um and at the end of the day i'm still a believer in you still have to find recovery from within for whatever it is, as Michelle and I were talking about, right? Life after trauma. Right. Find recovery from within. And, and you know, I'm a believer in stop externalizing and looking for something to do that fix it and, and, and make it. There's nothing wrong with trying to have something help it ease it, which is why I love the fact that the article says in combination with psychotherapy, it works to 83%. It doesn't say 83% alone with psilocybin. It's specific. And it keeps talking about that all throughout the article. And because I keep referencing the article, I am going to tell you guys where what the article is called, <clears throat> the newest one. Um, so you can find the article. It's, um, it's called For Alcohol Use Disorder, Psychedelics Plus Talk Therapy Cuts Heavy Drinking Days by 83%. Like literally, this is the whole yeah. um, thing. And it's by Christina Voigt, V-O-G-T or Vogt. Um, and it was medically reviewed by a medical doctor on the 24th. Um, and of course it's the newsletter I get for these things is everyday health, <clears throat> which you can subscribe to. And that's where I get some of my updates on things like this. Um, but it's everyday health. And that's the name of the article. I'm sure if you put in on a Google search, uh, psilocybin and 83% drop in alcohol use, you will probably get it to pop up, but it's on everyday health um, for people that want to read the article. But I, I do, I do think it's interesting, and it would be—I'd uh, be remiss to not be talking about it because it's going to be—it's—it's it's been on the Today Show, the Good Morning America. It made nightly news the other night. It's—it's it's all over the place talking about it, and people when they hear these things, as we talk about on social media or on regular media, they run to yeah. find out. And I have to say cautionary tale. Yes, it's it's out there. It's banned substance. It's illegal. I don't know of any practitioners who are legally pra practicing it. I do know practitioners who are doing it. I don't know them personally, but I know of clients who are using it already. Um, already, I've had very minimal mixed results of eh, nothing really great. I have the like people who use ayahuasca who are who report the same kind of experience. Um, it's hit or miss. Sometimes it's a wonderful experience, and sometimes it makes them go to a very dark place. There are bad trips. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So so and it, there's a reason why it's been banned because it can make people not in their right mind. It takes you out of your unwise. It takes you out of your wise mind at times, much like 
many things yeah. you could take. So I'm very cautionary, but I'm, I want to educate people out there that it is out there. And that if someone says, Oh, I can microdose that, um, you know, be very careful and do your research, be a good, um, triangulated thinker of that, because although it's natural, that doesn't mean it's good. So is sugar and we, sugar's natural too. Yeah. And we know what that does. Salt is natural. We know what that does. Sounds to me like, and I'm going to make up a word here. Oh boy. We're pharmaceuticalizing, uh, mindfulness. We're pharmaceuticalizing what? Mindfulness. Oh, mindful. Oh, interesting. Ooh. It sounds like. The, that's I like the, the word pharmaceuticalizing. That's yeah. a great. I might steal and that. You might substitute capitalizing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we. I, I guess. I guess pharmaceuticalizing would be an interesting thing. I think. So I think there's two things. I think that there's a there's there is a pharmaceutical industry piece to that for sure. Yeah. Like there is always. But I also think that there's such a high interest in helping people with medically assisted treatment to reduce there is a genuine nature of of the i don't know if it's the medical field per se but there is there's a section of us and i'm invested in that as well to medically reduce these isms to help people along is long and you know i am like you've got to do the work so you can't just yeah. take something and expect that it's going to fix it that's why i'm so glad this article was like 83 percent, but it has to be with psychotherapy and they are so good in the title to say it's not the psilocybin alone which is why i'm talking about yeah. it today because I, if it was just psilocybin i'd be like but so my first impulse is you the whole idea of mindfulness is getting the mind on a leash and this is unleashing everything. It's just like, it's it's externalizing. It's giving up control. Tripping is giving up control, isn't it? Well, yes, one would say that. Um, and I can, I can think of extreme circumstances where it would be useful. I can think in beginning stages where it would be useful. I right. understand that. I think that there's a, there's a talk about coming full circle to the beginning of the show. Yeah. There's a habituation process. And I am going to read just for one second because our Facebook user, who is Michelle, um, you know, she she just said she had to go to the gym, but um, her feeling about using medication to recover, which I can't see the rest of what she said. There is no oh, there's no easy way out. Yeah. Um, you got to go, you know, got to go do the world. Just saying she's absolutely correct. And this is that's why one I like this. I like this article is because it's saying you can't just do it alone with it, which. I think is important that if you're going to read an article on something like this, it's, it's not just saying that this, this pharmaceutical potentially useful drug is the only thing that you use. Like, it's not going right. to be the end all be all. It's specifically saying you have to do the work. And I would front load that with, you need to do the work. And that would be something that you would do on the side. Now that's why I brought up that I have clients who already do these micro dosing things on the side. I have people who micro dose this stuff on the side. Hmm. And they come to therapy on a weekly basis. Yeah. And we talk about, do they think that this is helping or do they, you know, I've even had people who have microdose and come in and I'm like, this is, you know, we've had terrible sessions because the person's a hot mess coming in because they, you know, first of all, they've driven themselves. Yep. I, it, there's so many issues with it. So I think that is because it's mind altering in a different way. Um, we don't know enough about it other than it's a trip. You know, I mean, most people just know about it from the 70s. People, you know, kids still use it in high school. I hear about kids coming in, oh, I was tripping over the weekend on shrooms. You know, oh, my God. Yep. Um, 
I think it opens up people who have the labels of the disorders to um, potential risk because you don't know what it's doing and you're in the altering of, you know, and it would say that it's rewiring some of the brain and habituating it into something else. But there's so many concerns about that, that, um, but one would say 25, 30 years ago, same thing with marijuana. And now marijuana is more utilized now than cigarettes. Utilized. Yes. Right. Not useful. Huh? But useful in the same way. Well, use, so yeah. useful. So in, in my clinical opinion, I think it's useful. Two things. I think it's useful in a different way. But yet, is it really useful in a different way? Because right. it is mind altering, but not in a hallucinatory way. Right. So is it because I'm used to, and I have no problem saying this, is it because I'm used to what the mainstream of what I've been doing, not mainstream, what I've been doing mainstream and understanding and how I've done this research on marijuana for years and watch what it does for clients and how useful I've seen it. And I'm pro for certain things, not everything pro using medical marijuana for certain things versus I'm just knowing about these things more in the past decade in terms of their usefulness. So I'm a little bit more hesitant and I have no problem saying that, that in 20 years I might be on the bandwagon of psilocybin being like, go yay. But I don't know that yet. So, but I'm always about like going with something new and saying, Hey, let's look at it. Let's, let's see what it's doing. Let's, what, understand it better. Let me put forth a layperson. I'm, not, I'm certainly not ed saying like, go do it. Let me put forth a layperson theory and you tell me how solid you think it is. Okay. I like the idea that it talks about separating yourself from the mind body connection mm -hmm. and the triggers and the um, psychological, physiological reactions right. that come from it. Right. But once you recognize that that's a need and a possibility, you just say, but you can do this yourself. Yes. You don't, you don't need marijuana. You don't need these drugs. You can, which ascend again, we're talking mindfulness. Well, right. And yeah. what you're going to, what I'm, well, so anecdotally, what I would say is that my clients who already do a lot of this microdosing of substances would tell me, cause I say that I've said that to them like, okay, so now you've had that experience. So now we can just do the work. They like the experience. They like the feeling. So they're going to go back to what it felt like. They'll still do the work, but they're not doing the work in the same way still that I'd want them to do the work because right. now they're getting the crutch right. of, well, I yeah. like the feel of how this makes me feel. And even though I've had a bad time here or there, I still like the way it makes me feel for those six, eight, 10 hours. So I'm going to utilize that. Much in the same way you teach somebody to try to relax through an anxiety period and people right. will do it with alcohol. I'm Irish. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I'm, I'm familiar well, with the complex. So, yeah. so, so there, there lies the thing. And, and I know Michelle jumped off and she'd probably jump in here to say yeah. this is that you're replacing. So you've got this ism, but now you're replacing it with another external. I'm not a big fan of replacing something with another thing that's similar like that now. Yeah. But a lot of these therapies are about mitigation and replacing them with a less, supposedly less damaging. Well, and so there's yeah. where, so that's why, so I'm, I'm, oh, there's so many things there. Yeah. So, so now Trexone, which is also Vivitrol, the shot, I'm all for that as a medically assisted treatment because there's no addictive properties. There's no mind altering per se, right. right? There's a rewiring of just the blocking of the, of the want, need and desire for and detection of the substance of choice in the body. There's no alternative benefit. Right. So, yeah. right. Antabuse. It works very well when you take it, right? Kimprel yeah. works very all all within those norms now, but you know, there's not big money in that. 
And so there's yes. where we come into now you have things like meth, you know, we go down the, the route of from Vietnam to now is, you know, heroin, moved to methadone, moved to suboxone, moved to subutex, moved to now sublocate, which, by the way, will kill you and can kill you. Not will, but could yeah. heavily immediately upon shot. So it has <laughs> yeah. a black box warning that could actually you have to sign off on a monthly when you get the shot that says you could die. So, yeah, you know, there's that. So and, and those are considered medically assisted treatments and they are big money big price money and people people will go on those before they'll go on these other things even like the psilocybin you know because it makes life easier it's a prescription high it's it's synthetic heroin all those things are synthetic heroin they all have addictive properties they all have mind-altering substances in them um it's very controversial of course when i talk about that because it goes against the whole do you know the medically the medically assisted treatment you know why wouldn't we want that well everyone falls in different camps of you know it's kind of like people who walk the sublocate here um, we're going to go on a little yeah. bit of a difference so sublocate have you ever heard of it yes okay oh good yay i love that oh, i don't know yeah we don't talk all the time well, I've so sublo done a few addiction what, shows so. i know yeah. but i didn't know if you'd heard of it because it's a yeah. little bit it's newer yeah. it's only been around for two years or so my thought just out of the gate even if i wasn't a doctor in psych i look i would look at someone and say if your medication comes with <laughs> narcan as a box that comes with it yeah. and they send you home with it that might be a sign <laughs> that, that there's a problem yeah so so for people that don't know sublocaine is a shot of synthetic heroin now i'm i'm lamening that that's not it's not well it is synthetic heroin it's yeah. it's a prescribed high that keeps you at a level of being able to function without using street drugs and other things that are illegal, but you're legally getting it prescribed. Theoretically, temporary mitigation. Theoretically, it's supposed to only be temporary. Yeah. It gets people highly addicted. It's like, you know, it, there's so many things to say about it. Yeah. Um, it's like I, that's a I, surprise to anybody. Right. Well, yeah. it is to yeah. a lot of people and yeah. people get very upset because because it's being prescribed by an authority figure and doctors and, you know, but it's not holistic. It's not natural. And it does deteriorate the body. If you see it, I have a client that's been on Suboxone for the better part of almost two decades. Yeah. And the person that takes that is two decades. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the way, it's only supposed to be for 20 21 days right we're, yeah. we're far beyond that so for almost two decades and she's had trouble with her thyroid she's had cancer issues she has deterioration in her gastrointestinal system and anyone that i've had that's been on suboxone itself or methadone i mean rotten teeth bone deterioration calcium i mean and and i will educate sounds like fentanyl and <laughs> Well, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So I will educate and other people that I know that are colleagues of mine that are holistic and naturopaths will also educate on the same thing. And I try to get all my clients to be at least knowledgeable and see other colleagues and they're not just taking it from me in terms of information. And but now they're so literally hooked in, no pun intended, they're so hooked into those particular items of medically assisted treatment because they've they can't get away from them. Right. They can't get so so you wouldn't be able to like you can't take naltrexone. You can't take while you're taking suboxone, subutex, sublocade, methadone, hair. You can't take that because it would kill you. Hmm. Um, so these are really dangerous things. Whereas when and I brought the, the, I'm bringing all this up because 
when you have these natural like marijuana and potentially what I'm seeing with psilocybin or ketamine, it's microdoses or MDMA, which could be very dangerous. There could be something more beneficial to them than because they're not, <laughs> excuse me, they're not addictive. They're not getting your brain hooked on the habit of yeah. having them and needing them and being hooked in literally. Um, so I'm, I have, I'm in the, I'm a split camp on the MATs. I'm a, I'm, if you, if you've got something that's not addictive and non mind altering in the way that something that is addictive and mind altering is not to say that you're not mind altering and rewiring when you take the things like naltrexone, it's totally different. So I don't know the science yet enough about psilocybin or even ketamine or, and it's out there a little bit or MDMA to know if we're changing the brain chemistry in the way that marijuana changes the brain chemistry, sugar changes the brain chemistry, everything. Yeah. You could say this for everything, but I think people have to be good consumers and educate themselves and not just go with the next big fad or I like the pharmaceuticalizing of and buying into that. And, and the big piece of this on that take home is the research on ketamine, MDMA, and now psilocybin is, it's really specific to say it's not just the thing that you're using, you must do yeah. the work. This seems to be a conscious effort to normalize a lot of this stuff. I yep. mean, I think it's Netflix. I'm not sure one of the streaming services has a uh, documentary on some of these, doc I'm using air quotes, documentary on some of these uh, types of hallucinatory drugs for therapy yeah, and treatment out, yeah there's yeah. a couple out on them i can't remember the names of them but they are it almost seems to be like a campaign to normalize this to a degree well people are, well i mean potentially i mean people are looking for something new i think with the, the pandemic really changed a lot of things for people and it got it brought alcoholism went up opiate yeah. use went up domestic violence went up <laughs> shocker right yeah um incest and we have all kinds like I could go. We had lots of raises and things. We had lots more depression go up, anxiety go up. Now anxiety is up even higher. I've seen I've seen more anxious people in the past year than I have in the previous twenty five. It's a very um, stressful time right it, now. It, right, yeah. and and the lack of coping skills and the search for quick fixes without doing the work. You know, like if you're out there. So here's you know you're out there eating well, getting good sleep doing some sort of exercise for yourself, making sure that you have good boundaries, making sure that you have, you know, someone that's to talk to a resource group, a psychotherapist, a doctor, like you have all these things in motion and then you still need something a little extra to help you. Then let's talk. Yeah. But if we're just going right for that quick fix to say, Oh, this will make me feel better. You are not going to be the person that you're looking to be. You're not living your best life because you still have to do the work. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause I'm paying attention to blood pressure medications now. Right. And you get all these blood pre pressure medication ads and, and things like that. And what they're talking about is in combined with a, you know, a healthy workout schedule and healthy eating and stuff like that. This would be a big help to your high blood pressure. Well, right. all that stuff will be a big help by itself. Well, well yeah. And <laughs> yeah. that, and so that's why I'm saying like, if you, so take for instance, high blood pressure, you can have all those things moving for you. And if you have like a high stress job, or if you have other things going on in your life that are high stress and you still have like a little tilt of your high blood pressure and you're doing all those things already. Okay. So now we're talking about like, you might need a little extra help because you know, there is a genetic push for blood pressure issues. There is all that. And then you put an added stressor yeah. on it, but go to your workout schedule and your change of appetite schedule and your 
um, food intake, you know, change salt, change water, change sugar. All those things can make those things, your cholesterol and your blood yeah. pressure move up and down. Um, you know, alcohol consumption. Alcohol consumption is one of the biggest um, high blood pressure raisers that people do and don't even realize it. Not only is it, it's not just the alcohol, it's because the sugar and the salt content in that, what does that do to the arteries, right? Yeah. So here we are looking for those externals to make us feel better, right? You're, you're looking for, that's the symptom of the problem. You yeah. go to the outside things, whether it's shopping, gambling, because what it is, is when we talk about the neurology of it, it's going to the brain. And what does it do? It's changing the brain to be habituated to my beginning of the hour, right? Yep. Habituated into, well, this makes me feel good. It fills my cup up for four seconds. And so therefore it feels good, but then it doesn't anymore. So I got to go back and fill it up again. But I'll go back to the observer position or wise mind, unwise mind. So many people are swimming in their unwise mind. Yes. In their I love mind. That swimming in their unwise mind. Yeah. The, it's like a fish doesn't know he's in water. Right. And most people live that way in the unwise mind. They don't understand that you can step back and have some control that just totally lost that whole concept of it. And that that goes a long way towards doing some of the things that would hey, listen. Nothing's perfect. And it takes work and it takes constant work to well, do it. But and, and, and it so that's it, what we're talking about doing with with mind altering drugs. Drugs. Yeah. Right. So what? So this is a this is always a mind blowing concept I think for clients that when I say it took you work to get where you're at now and I usually get that side eye like yeah. huh it took you work to get there mm -hmm. it, it was hard work to be as miserable or as unhappy decades or of work as, yeah. or as stressed out or whatever it is it took you work and people always look at me in disbelief like no it happened to me it happened to yeah. me. And there's a lot of work just around just that piece before we even get to any of the stuff you just talked about. Um, for really good, deep, in intense therapy, you have to go to that place to say, hey, it's not just about coming in and having someone on their second session do a rebirthing session <laughs> that, you yeah. know, we're a little we're a little ahead of the game on yeah. that one. So it's, it's really about being able to look at the intensity of how did you get? here if you how believe, hard did you have to work it, to get there because you worked yeah. hard at it you, you, people work harder and use mental energy more if you believe be happy and miserable that everything happened to you externally yes first of all you can give up responsibility you're not responsible for it which everyone is more which comfortable is with than taking responsibility <laughs> right it's a but, lovely space but the flip side of that is once you realize that you have a part in this once you realize you had control over this you understand you have the control to go the other way you um, well, once you understand you have a level of control the understanding of that, because yeah. that also is a foreign concept. When you introduce that to someone and say, yeah. you have more control over this than not, I get multiple responses. One is I get a pissed off response. Right. Like, are you saying that I'm doing this to myself? Right. Accepting and, responsibility. And I say, yeah. I'm not saying that you're doing it to yourself. I'm saying you're contributing. And <laughs> I, I use different words Yeah. <laughs> to soften the blow. You have a role, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but you're you're co you're co-conspirating with your own self to drive this into the floor, right? Um, and that's why I brought up gaslighting of self, self gaslighting, right? If if without the source of the gaslighter in front of you, you will gaslight yourself if you've been habituated into it. You will continue yep. to habituate yourself into it because, hey, if you're my abuser and you're the one that always told me I was crap, I'm going to then turn around and do that narrative in my head, and I don't need you there. Yep. Because I'm going to have you there. I'm taking that tape with me. I'm going to take that that part 
you know, we talk about family systems, right? That's that creates a, a part in us, this ghost part or all these little ghost parts that yep. sit in our head and like run around like little apparitions, like telling us all these crazy messages. Some are really good, but many times when you have people who are ismed, um, yep. have severe depression, anxiety, PTSS, there's a lot of those little ghost parts in there running amok. People with eating disorders. This is one of the biggest things in we're talking about, you know, like kind of quick fix medications. I think I mentioned it last week or the week before in the show, you know, people who take Ozempic, nothing wrong with Ozempic, but if you're going to that as a, as a go-to to lose your weight, yeah. here we are again, yep. you're going to the thing that's going to externalize that I'm not taking responsibility for the fact that I have all these little ghost parts in my head that are triggered when I'm bored or upset yep. or lonely or tired or sad. And instead what I do is I put something in my mouth that makes me gain weight because I'm habituating myself into that. And now it's automatic. I don't have a cell observing mind. And then what happens is, well, I can't help it. It's my genetics. It's this, it's that. No, it's, and, and then they'll go to the medical, you know, all these yep. medi weight loss places that do help people because they're supposed to have a psychotherapy component to them. But a lot of the people that I've seen in my practice that utilize that and me with them, they don't use the psychotherapy piece with them. They come to me and I, I keep saying, you can utilize me, but you need to be utilizing them too. Cause they're the ones that are doing the stuff around the medication management. And yeah. it's, it, you know, instead you get people that are just like, I don't want the therapy. I'm just going to use the pill. But the most successful, which is why FenFen works so well. Remember right. FenFen? Yeah. And now it's banned because it was making people lose weight, lose weight and die. <laughs> I mean, there's death, you know. Yeah. Possible there's, side there's effects. A, a possible side effect is death and bleeding out of your eyes. But one of the main benefits of a good weight loss program is that you start to understand your level of control. You you mm -hmm. go early and you lose a couple pounds and go, hey, I did that. Mm -hmm. And then you start to feel a little better and you say, hey, I'm doing that. And you start to understand that you have control over right. this. And that muscle, using that muscle, you get better at it. You get stronger at it. And right. you take more control as you go along. And, and it and takes time like it took you time to get into the situation. Right, and people are in instant gratification yeah. seekers. And because of that. But no, if I just take this pill, I'll lose I'll lose weight. Or well, yeah. and or if I just take psilocybin, yep. I won't drink as much, right. or I won't have PTSS, or I won't have depression or anxiety, and uh, you you still can't run from. But after the trip, the if you don't have the when you come back, it's it's like addiction now. After you detox, yep, and you last. come back if you haven't if you don't have the skill set, right, you just end up back in the same place, right. After the trip, you just end up back in the same place. And it's that's about one, developing. Well, and that's one of the biggest problems mindset. with like ADD meds. And sorry to interrupt you, but I will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing with ADD meds, like Ritalin, methylphenidate, Concerta, Vyvanse. They're they're meant to be adjunctive. They're meant to be there to help along to help you build this coping strategy. Same thing with an SSRI, like Wellbutrin, Paxil, Zoloft, right? Effect, you know, yep. or or any of the other SNRI families or whatever, like Effexor or the Venlafaxine and they're all there to help a person build the skill. It's not the intention that someone's supposed to be on them lifelong. They're supposed to be there right. just like Suboxone and Subutex and Sublocade and all there to support a few weeks or a few months. And then you're supposed to learn the skills in therapy. Right. And that's what it's for. But that's not what happens. And it's, you know, well, it does happen with my clients. I have to say that I have a, I have a very well-oiled, well-motivated set of clients 
that we were, I, and I think it's because we have good therapeutic alliance. I build that with them. I get them to trust. They trust me. They have faith in the process. They, and you know that I send people, I don't say, just believe me. I say, yeah. go do your research, go look this up, go find, don't just trust me solely on what I'm saying. Cause I want people to educate themselves as much as they can. You know, I have people come in, as you know, like I'm on these six medications. I'm like, tell me what they're for. I don't know. Unfortunately, no, 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 yourself. You have to know what you're doing because you're mind altering. You're making a change in your in your head, and that medication makes you eat more. That medication makes you drink less. That medication makes you have diarrhea. That one makes you have headaches. Did you know that? Like, know what you're doing. Unfortunately, so gonna... your clientele is pre-qualified to an extent because they have come they to the point where they're out of uh, they're out of therapist. Right. So, and they well, seek you out, right? They so they're starting to regain some control, understand they have control and regain some right. control. There's too many people out there who see an ad or watch a documentary and say, well, I'm going to do that. Right. Take a pill, fix it. Well, and that's why the self-help mm. industry is a multi-billion dollar business because they, people go out and, you know, I, I can't tell you how many clients have probably come to me and have shelves of self-help books and shelves of yeah. this and shelves of that and every fitness equipment and every tried every pill diet um you know whatever it is quick fix yoga you know but they try it for two seconds or yeah. they do you know, or they they didn't get what they needed out of it immediately to give them the quick fix answer so they moved on to the next thing and that's one of the things i always tell my clients right out of the gate is this is not this is not a um sprint right this is a marathon Sometimes it's it's a seven hour marathon. <laughs> Sometimes it's a two hour marathon. It just depends on how you do the work. It's not dependent on me. I'll give you all the skills and tools that you need that I know work. And if they don't, we'll fix it by tweaking them. Right. But you have to do the work. And that's where I, 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 I have a lovely set of a, a huge group of patients that I think are fantastic at working on themselves because they buy into the fact that they want and need to work on themselves and that they that's the only way they get further and that they have control they right. have a level of control right and and you know if they want to use psilocybin or they want to use um ketamine or they want to use mdma and talk about it and do all that that's that's fine um as long as they realize that they still have to do the work yeah you know just like people who have come in with you know people come in now with medical marijuana I mean, the dosing on medical marijuana is very different than just recreational, you know, in terms of like its intensity. Medical marijuana is, is very intense, but it doesn't give you the same effect as a recreational high. And so therefore the work you can do with it, that's one of the pros of it is that you can do really good psychotherapeutic work on it. Um, and people used to be 20, 30 years ago, be up in arms about that commentary. I mean, I grew up in a household where you, you were a stoner. If you used anything like that, it, you were, you were trash. You were nothing. Yeah. You know, it's like, mm. and I mean, from a very early age in my own career, like I was always interested in like what natural substances in the world, if something's coming from the ground and something's there, like, let's find out what it does. Like, what, why not? Like you, you know, you have to be an investigative mind um, and see what's right for you. And, do it smart and do it with people that you know. Now, I will never be a psilocybin practitioner. I can guarantee you that right now. <laughs> I, there's a huge yeah. liability to that. I'll never be an MDMA, ketamine, or any. I go all natural in terms of things that are not going to be on a banned substance list. Um, you know, marijuana is totally different. Yeah. It's a totally different, like, I, I can do the ins and outs on the, 
the cannabinoid receptors in the brain that we have at natural receptors and all that. Um, the one thing I would say is psilocybin might be closer to the marijuana usage because we have a serotonin 2A receptor that's specifically designed to actually take on psilocybin for hallucinatory purposes. Yep. So we actually... In the research, it's also come out and it's been known that our serotonin, which is our mood regulator, our depression, anxiety, and so on and so forth, and it helps with PTSS, right, to regulate PTSS, that um, the serotonin 2A receptor um, is partially responsible, at least in part, for the reason why psilocybin would be a good thing for some people with the ism, because it opens up the mind to the experience of the mood regulation, which is probably why it works mechanically but there's a big line of separation between synthetic and uh, uh, organic natural which word do you want to use natural right i think i think so i i don't i believe in the study that they did it at the university of new york um and the ones that they're referencing i think that it's all natural i don't think there's anything yeah. manufactured so they haven't like but i mean in your mind in terms of openness to them that that's a good dividing point between yes. synthetic and once you start natural. synthesizing yeah. things just like food yep it's not a good thing. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, and I've had people say, well, yeah, but if it was a life-saving drug, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, if it's, a, if it's going to save your life and it's, you know, like polio shot, sure, you know, uh, you know, a vaccine that makes sure you don't die from the measles, yep. sure, you know, things like that. Um, but I'm talking about things that people use like daily or want to use to fix their we're walking psychological beings every single day, whether people realize it or not. And so we're either feeding it with a pill or we're feeding it with food or we're feeding it with exercise, we're feeding it with shopping or we're feeding it with relationships, good, bad, and different across the board. Aren't we feeding it with thought too? Well, bringing it back to the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We're feeding it with thoughts and, um, and, what types of thoughts are we feeding it with that drive us to do all those other things? Super important, which is where we won't get to it today, but the other piece of the show I was going to talk about is emotional meltdowns. It leads, it leads people to having stable, healthy, well-lived lives versus um, emotional meltdowns. And, you know, which people used to call nervous breakdowns, which that's not actually a term that we use in psychology and emotional meltdowns um, is a loose term that any clinical person might use it. Oh, you had an emotional meltdown. You dysregulated yeah. whatever you want to use. Cause sometimes it's easier to just say, Oh, you, you emotionally melted down. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to manage that. And I don't think going to synthetic things, it's like me saying, Oh, you, you didn't feel good. Let's go have a whole thing of ice cream. Yeah. Like we can't fix sadness by eating cake. Right. We can't fix grief and loss by, you know, starting problem is you do for about 30 minutes. You what? You, problem is you do for about 30 minutes. Right. And then, you know, what you feel like crap. Yeah. Shit. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, what you do, you go right back to it afterwards because you get your mind habituated into being addicted to the process and to the pro and to the product. But you get your mind addicted to the process of why well, I, I feel good for 30 seconds but I just gained 10 pounds over the past week because I did that. Or now I'm addicted to this substance that I can't get off of. Yeah. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's um, sublocade, whatever it is, yeah. you know, not a fan of that, as you can tell. No. Anything that comes with a black box warning and comes with Narcan, you might want to think twice about it. Just a clinical opinion. <laughs> just a clinical opinion. Yeah, if they give you a life-saving companion drug. Yes, they give you the drug that will kill you and give you the life-saving shot at the same time that you can yeah. stick up your nose.
It's fantastic. There's some it's funny. In a way, I remember doing a daily talk show. It's funny. Narcan is is the beginning of this in in many extents, isn't it? Because I remember doing a lot of shows about Narcan and having questions, and it got people upset. Yeah. Because like, if your daughter was overdosing, you'd want the Narcan, of course. Right. But we didn't have any control over like how many times our police police are going out with Narcan, uh-huh. and they're going to the same person three times over, in a week or twice night. in a day. Uh-huh. Is this really the way? Listen, if I drive drunk, I got to go through a whole class. Yeah. If I get Narcan by the public, shouldn't there be some? I mean, not that we can afford to do it or not that we can really do it, but I mean, just going out and doing the Narcan dose and then coming back in the afternoon and doing it again to the same person, are we really doing anything here? Are we solving the problem? So it, when I do my class next year, <laughs> I'll have you come because I will not put my whole class on air, obviously, <laughs> but I do almost an entire class on I get in so much that. trouble for this. I well, you so that's why trouble. it's not going to be something. It's a very yeah. contrary because you're going to have people in camp, big camps that are like, yeah, because it's a valid. And I'm not saying don't Narcan people save lives. I mean, right. No but, one's there, not, but you're saying like, where's the line of how many times and where's the where's the not even then. It's not like you get a card and if you've done it eight times, we're not doing it anymore. But it's just it's just a strange way to attack the problem. Right. And well, yes. And there's and the, and the, and there's been so much controversy about the use of Narcan and how much it's yeah. used, and, and then they put it in homes and the requirement of people of of frontline first responders having it on them versus not having it on them. Um, some people who you know there's been fights over the years of who of fr- first responders that feel like no they don't think that they should be doing that because it's going against what is the natural. Thing that should happen i mean you know I, you know but then you have, have it at home res- and... i have first responders that, that yeah. see people the same person like you were just saying overdose nine or ten times a week and have been to their homes or been on the street to narcan them and it becomes taxing for them emotionally because yeah. their question to me you know when when they're talking about it in therapy is is which i see many police officers as you as you know um is where does my line in the sand draw for this because right. am I really helping this person because not doing anything to actually give them recovery. And most of them, I don't have any female um, front frontliners right now, but all the guys that I see are always like, I always have the conversation with the person when they come to of like, I want to help you. I want to take you to rehab. I want to get you to a detox. And it's almost always no thanks. And it's not required. Nope. Not, not even an emergency room. No, nope. not. I mean, it's, it's, insane to an extent mm-hmm. then you have it in a home where the addicts feel bulletproof because yeah. i have an arcan and my I, I mother had, knows how I to use it i've had many anecdotal stories yeah. where it's not either no one's been there to help them yep. and they've passed and overdosed and or they they themselves couldn't get to it because they had overdosed you know or something has happened that it was not foolproof um and it's an odd position to be in, I'm sure, for the first responders, because I would never say don't administer an Arcan to a person. No. No, you can't. You no can't no one's going to think that. Right. Exactly. No one's gonna, even going to want to do that. Well, people do think that. And yeah. there's where some of the controversy comes up yeah. is like, because hmm. yeah. now it's like you're playing God. You're yeah. deciding whether or not the person would live or die, because without the Narcan, they're going to die. Yeah. Oh, there, there went to a sign. Oh, I don't know of that one. No, it's I true. mean, I wouldn't, I would never, I mean, geez, you never right? pass up the ability to save somebody. Right. But, but 
Right. Yeah, that's a that's a dark place to be in. Right. Well, and, and it's so I mean, so it's a different show, but you know, it's, it's kind of yeah. like at some point we can talk about, you know, all the different strategies that people use, like setting up, you know, the tent towns of like people coming in and be able to safely do like their heroin or whatever. You know, there's yeah. there's those too. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of pieces like this, but coming back around that for my benefit of of being healthy and well and living your best life is I still go to eat clean, exercise stay as natural to the ground of your, of things that go into your body as you can, um, you know, synthesized anything, whether it's salt, sugar, caffeine, uh, psilocybin, methadone, suboxone, naltrexone, whatever it is, stay as true and clean to not changing your neural pathways in a negative way as you can. Science is always changing. So I think that's why I'm like, oh, I'm going to look at this and I'm yep. going to entertain this and I'm educate myself on this. Just like I'd ask people to do that. But um, it's really about like, stay close to the natural stuff as you can, you know, and do the work, do the work. And the work doesn't yep. have to always be talking to someone. Do eat clean, drink water, don't overdo on crap. I mean, those are just basic life things, you know, if you're, sad, if you're a sad yeah. person, if you have a grief and loss issue, if you have PTSD, PTSS, right? If you have, get to know those pieces of you so that those little ghost pieces that are running around your head that make you do the things you end up doing that aren't in your favor so that you know them. So you have better ability to say, no, I don't want that. And I'm yeah. not doing that. I have a different choice here. It's about taking control of oneself and one's life and saying, oh, my God, I actually have a resource here that doesn't have to be this quick fix that might kill me. You know, there's that. Yeah. So anyway, on that note, <laughs> on that happy note of not, you know, dying, um, I hope everyone has a fantastic week. We are coming into the Labor Day weekend, mm. which this weekend right now outside here in Massachusetts, it's 92 degrees when I came in the door. <laughs> it's still beautiful. It's still summer. The leaves are changing, which I'm ignoring completely because um, <laughs> that does not exist in my mind in August because that just can't happen. Um, but everybody have a fantastic week. Be safe and um, get your kiddos off to school and all the fun things that are going to happen for the fall for people. And, and I'm going to just be here next week and go away. That's right. <laughs> okay. All right, you guys have a great week.